0: Thank you, Lord Jesus. Glorify Him. He's good, isn't He? And it's good to gather together. We need to be together as His body. We are called to gather. The Lord told us not to forsake the gathering together of the believers, right? And that's why we do this. That's why we get together. And I just thank you, Holy Spirit, for your word. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are here. And I just pray, Lord, you speak. Holy Spirit, you take your word. And you speak, Lord, and I'm willing, and I pray our hearts would be willing to hear what you have to say, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I just want to read something quickly from, and and springboard from here. Revelations chapter 21. Revelation 21, verse 6. Revelation 21, verse 6, and, and it says, And he also said, and everybody say this out loud, It is finished. It is finished. He said, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. That means the beginning and the end. He is Genesis and He is Revelation, right? He is creation and then He is heaven, okay? He is the beginning and He is the end, he is the Alpha and the Omega. And he says, and to all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. And it says, and all, verse 7, who are victorious. Everybody say all who are victorious will inherit these, all these blessings And he says to us, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. He is the beginning and the end. He began it, and everybody say, and he will finish it. God knows what he's doing. And there's an old saying in uh, in the church growing up is, God's up to something, and it's good. (laughs) Anybody remember that? God's up to something and it's good. It's always good what he's doing. What he's doing is always good. And it needs to be said often that we remember that God's always doing something good. And many times it looks like a cross. He said to Jesus, it's good. And if Jesus had looked at the cross, he would have been confused and said, I don't know how, Father, this is good in my flesh. But he was willing and it was good. It was for all of humanity that his blood was shed. And so through that blood, now we are here today. Amen. It might not look good to your flesh, but it is always good. God is doing something. And he just started saying some things to preach on today that, that there is a beginning and there's an end. God starts things and God finishes things. God is not a 90 percenter. Right? Anybody a 90 percenter? Anybody start a lot of projects and not finish them? And But God's not. God is a finisher. God always finishes the projects he starts. He finishes every single thing he starts. And and sometimes it takes time, but God's not in time, so it's not a big deal to him. And sometimes it even takes generations. You know that God is still answering. God is not finished yet, and yet it is finished, but he's not finished yet on this earth because we're living in time. Some people say, well, how, co- how come the devil is allowed to do what he does? Why doesn't God deal with him? And the thing is that Jesus really did deal with him on the cross, but time is still catching up to what happened in the spirit. And, and then for, so that there's no confusion, he tells us in Peter, and what's happening in the time, meanwhile, it's been dealt with in the spirit, is my grace. He said, because I'm giving you time so that more can be saved. So that we can come into the grace and understand his grace. Who's thankful that God didn't end it 10 years ago? Anybody changed in the last 10 years? Anybody thankful that God doesn't finish things too quickly? <laughs> right? We, I've, I mean, I've experienced personally many changes in these last 10 years that I am thankful that he gave me grace for. Right? Are we thankful for that grace? And he is still here today doing the finishing work. I want you to say the finishing work of Jesus Christ. See, technically, on day seven of creation, the Lord started finishing things. He rested. The Bible says that God rested. So time is already was already in the finishing work. God finished. He rested. And some people have even connected Jesus on the cross to when God said it's, that it's good and he rested. That outside of time, Jesus was on the cross at the same time and says, it's finished. And then connecting to Revelation when he's already come and taken his church back. See, outside of our minds, they we short fuse... We short out. That doesn't make sense to us. But God, outside of time, it's, we take these moments in our time, but technically in God, outside of time, is just is. It's always been finished. It was always done. It was always finished. When God rested, it was done. And there's an interesting connection to the fact that God said, a day with the Lord is as a thousand years. Anybody know that verse? And he said, if, you're, if you can figure this out, you're not smart, but if you can figure this out, you're wise. A day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and we know as Christians, because we don't believe the narrative, right, of the world, that it's approximately the end of the 6,000 years right now. We know that as Christians. Right, We can literally, we have people to go and trace. The Bible kept track of the lineage, kept track of their ages for a reason. And smarter people than me have traced it back and found out that we are at the tail end of the 6,000 years. Day six, a day with the Lord is as 1,000 years, 6,000 years. On the seventh day, the Lord rested. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that incredibly interesting that we are re- literally on the, on the verge of that. Also, Jesus, if a day is as a thousand years, on the third day, Jesus rose again. Well, on the third day, the beginning, early on the third day, how many years has it been since Jesus died? Two thousand years. It's been two days. It's early morning on the third day. Isn't that amazing that the two line up? Isn't God incredible? Isn't God big? And as I, I say, you guys probably probably get bored of me saying this, I, but I just love creation and I love his universe so much. I'm fascinated by his creation and how amazing it is, how big the universe is, just how incredibly huge and crazy it is, and yet it all works so perfectly that we know that if the moon, right, if the moon is, and the sun, right, the moon, they say, controls our tides, and many other things, too, right? As nurses in here, you know on, uh, I think it's full moons, right? Get ready at the hospital. For babies, right? And other things too. People get weird, huh? Crazy too. So there's this, but the, so there's this connection. God has created like this perfection and we're all, it's all connected together and yet if it was off by just one thing, like one degree, right? If the sun, I don't remember, so don't, I'm not going to give you any math. But let's just say if the sun is X amount of distance that way or X amount of distance this way, we'd have trouble. Let me leave it there. And you can go find out the science to that. But the point is, we would either freeze or we would burn up. I know that. And so God has actually ordained things in perfection. God has already finished. He finished it. He placed the sun. He placed the moon. He placed the stars. He placed you on earth. And then he said, it's good. It's finished. Now, we're living things out. Everybody say, we're living things out. And that's really what I want to talk to you about today is that journey. And I bring this up often because sometimes as Christians, we miss that there is a journey. Come on, guys. There is a journey. Don't get worried about this very moment. Jesus even encouraged us with that. He's like, don't worry. Don't worry. The birds don't worry, right? The flowers don't worry. They don't toil or spin, it says. They just are. We just need to be in Christ. Jesus is working. Jesus, right on time. Everybody say, right on time. He came. He came exactly when God wanted him. It's not a coincidence. If it's another 10,000 years, and this was just a cute analogy today, then so be it. I'm wrong. But I don't think it's a coincidence that those things lined up that precisely. So God had him at the exact moment for his third day to line up with his seventh day. Right? They would have been saying, where was Jesus coming? In fact, one of the signs that we're getting close is that people start doubting that he's going to come again at all and start thinking it's weird to talk about him coming again. That's one of the signs, is that it starts becoming least talked about in the church. He's coming again. He's coming for a glorious bride, and he's coming in perfection. He knows what he's doing, and he's going to finish in time what had already finished in the Spirit. It's already finished. He said it's finished. Do you believe Jesus when he said it's finished, that it's finished? What we have to do on this life is walk it out. That's why I bring the guy up on the cross next to Jesus so many times. He's such an amazing picture of what salvation is. And yet, he didn't have a chance to walk it out, but he would have had to walk it out. right? The criminal on the cross recognizes that's Jesus. This is not just a man that's the son of god and i'm a sinner i deserve to be nailed to this cross he doesn't and he says remember me and jesus says today we'll be in paradise together that's how simple salvation is that's how simple the salvation of jesus christ is for you but i've said many times but we don't know because he didn't get to we don't know what what his life would have been but if jesus had pulled the nails out of his hands and his feet and said okay now live again there was no way he could go back to a murdering right? Because that's why he was there, right? Murdering criminal lifestyle because Jesus did a work in him. A revelation happened inside of him and so now his walking out would reflect what Jesus did on that cross. Amen. Does anybody agree with me here today? God is good, isn't he? he's so kind to us. He's so merciful. I was just thinking about the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God the Father, I don't want to separate, but I'm going to do, but don't think it's heresy. All right? But let's just take the characters and separate them just for a moment so we can understand. God the Father is still God. All right? And the picture of the cross is that Jesus said, Father, hold back your wrath. The picture of the cross is my blood will get in between their sin and your wrath. My blood stands in the gap, and in fact, you can go through your Old Testament and find that each of the patriarchs did this for their people. Each of them did a messianic type of picture, the fact that they stood in the gap for the people, that they gave their lives fully, gave their lives for the people. And so Jesus stands in the gap and says, hold back your wrath, Lord. And the thing we need to realize is, is that just because God's grace stood in the gap for us, doesn't mean that God is not still God. We need to realize that one day Jesus said, I'm coming back with fire in my eyes with a sword in my mouth, and I'm coming for war. He doesn't want to. He loves you. Jesus is about grace. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son for us. Right? That whoever believes in him, right? Whoever believes in him, whoever will repent, whoever confess their sins, give their lives fully to him, gives you eternal life, gives you life again. But Jesus is coming back, that third day is coming soon the day of him rising the day of him coming is coming soon and when he comes again you want to be on his side and we are church but it's a message that we should be constantly reminded of that we want to be on his side it's a moment where grace is done it's hard to imagine but grace will literally lift and be done He's actually, in order for God to fully put his wrath on the earth, he's going to have to remove us completely. We don't know exactly at what point of that time of chaos, of tribulation that is, but at some point he's going to literally have to remove us so that his full wrath can come on the earth. And you know that there's nobody on earth that, is, that has to go through that wrath. That all we have to do is repent. Repent that all we have to do is turn to Jesus and in his grace. But God is still God. He started something and he must finish it. And just like a father, you know, sometimes my kids, I think they could get confused why suddenly I punished them. But I watched them disrespect mom. And then I watched them disrespect her again. I had to do this to Levi the other day. It's probably shocking for him. I was down in the basement and I heard him talk back. It was just that last time. He probably heard me coming up the hollow wooden steps of the basement in fear because he, ran, he went upstairs quickly. I said, Levi, come here. He goes, what? I said, I said, Levi, come here. He goes, I didn't hear you. I'll leave the rest to your imagination. He had a timeout. The thing is, I had heard him all along, but my grace stood in the gap. The grace of Jesus Christ is incredible. It is unbelievable what he has done for us and is still doing for us. But he loves us, and sometimes we need to be reminded of his grace. Come on, amen. That it is finished in the Spirit, but there is a working and a walking out that Jesus is literally fending for you. He's standing in the gap for you. He's giving you an opportunity to deal with it. Giving you an opportunity to deal with it. He says, I love you. I have even, I put my blood in your place and I saved you at this very moment. I've saved you. But now... I must help you, and you must let me walk it out. That's the hardest part. That's the hardest part. And I've said from the pulpit before, and I'm sure you've wondered as believers, why does he make us walk it out? Why can't we be like the guy on the cross and just die with him? Why can't we just go to heaven right then and there? And so the reason is because it is that important that you are here. He loves you so much that he died for you, but it's that important that you're here because technically it's finished, so why must we still be here? Because there is a walking out that does multiple things. One, who has come closer to Christ in that walking out? Who has, every time you lay down your your weapons that were pointed toward Jesus, you didn't even realize, right? Our pride, and we just lay it down, Lord, forgive me. And every time we do that, what happens? We encounter another level of his love that was always there. Was he holding it back from us? Was he holding his love back from us? It was always there. And when we lay down our arms, we received like another, a whole other revelation of who Jesus is. And really, that's what we should be doing in our entire life is going from there to there to there to there in Him, not in knowledge and in pride, but in the knowledge of Jesus. When it says the knowledge of Jesus is not knowing about Him, it's in knowing Jesus would be a more proper uh, translation. And you knowing Him, you know Him more and more. The other thing that happens is you have a circle around you that also needs to know Him. And unless they see you change all you're going to be telling them is about a name called Jesus, but not the Jesus of that name who comes through your life. The third thing that happens is, and I would call it the most minor, but it's still a part of God's kingdom, is that the devil is put in his place. It's not the most important, I would call that the least important, but it is an element of God's kingdom that is also a part of his kingdom that he's telling the devil who the devil is. When the devil looks at you and had been ruling in your life and now Jesus did a work inside you and now you decide to trust Jesus and not him and start trampling on his head, God is showing just like he placed that sun and placed that moon and if they disobey, they're going to get in trouble. That moon and that sun, they stay right where he put them and the devil didn't, so God doesn't tolerate that. God's going to show the devil who he is, and he does that through you. Otherwise, he would just say, okay, boom, here you go, go to heaven, that's that. But we must walk out why we're here. Is anybody getting this? The Bible tells us a picture. And we looked at Jacob last week. I, just want to, I don't want to reread his story, but I want to look at something he said to him. And I want us to think about this. He calls Jacob out. Calls Jacob out and gives him a promise at Bethel. But remember, he also called Isaac and he also called Abraham. Everybody remember the story. God called Abraham and then he separated Isaac, right, of the sons, separated Abraham from his family, separated Isaac from his family, and now separated Jacob from the family. And he tells him at Bethel, in the book of Genesis, chapter 28, verse 13, it says, The Lord, at the top of the stairway stood the Lord, and he said, I'm the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham, the God of your father Isaac. He said, The ground you are lying on belongs to you. Everybody say, it belongs to you. God made him a promise. God said, the ground you're on, that belongs to you. You know, when God comes and does a salvation work in you, he gives you a place, gives you a purpose, gives you ground. Did you know that? And he has a purpose in it that's beyond you. it's bigger than you. It's even generational. We're going to look at that. It's way beyond us. It's way bigger than us. But there's a walking out. He says it, but there's a walking out. So he says, he says, I'm giving it to you and your descendants. It's so important that we are obedient for the sake of our descendants. It's so important that we walk out what God has asked us to because He makes a promise, but there are descendants. There are descendants that that He makes the promise, but it's really our walking out that affects those descendants. He says, They will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They will spread out in all directions to the west and the east and the north and the south, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. This actually can be even translated to your seed, and because there's twofold here, this is Jacob who becomes Israel, so we have the children of Israel, but also in the New Testament we look back at these verses and we see that it's seed, which means Jesus Christ, and so we are included in here too. That there will be so many stretching across the whole earth that they will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. And he says, verse 15, what's more, I am with you. Everybody say, I am with you, and I will protect you wherever you go. We need to remember that the Lord said that to us. The Lord says the same promises to us. He says, I'm with you, and I'll protect you wherever you go. He says, one day, everybody say, one day. He says, I'll bring you back to this land. And that's what we looked at last week. He went through a journey. Jacob went through a journey. And the Lord was faithful to bring him back. The Lord was faithful to bring him back. But what did it require? No more Jacob. I'm going to bring you back. But when you come back, it's Israel. Israel. I'm going to bring you back. So the Lord gives us a promise. I'm going to give you salvation. I'm going to give you gifts. I'm going to give you life. I'm going to give you promises. But there's a way. I have a way. And I'm going to keep my promise. But you must submit to my way. Does this make sense, anyone? And then he tells them again. He continues and says, Again, he says, I will not leave you until I have, everybody say that word out loud, until I have finished. And the Lord is promising us the same exact promise. Jesus came, in fact, as a fulfillment to this promise for you. Jesus is the finishing work of God. And He said, I will not leave you until I have So God said, I will finish. Is there any confusion here? Who's finishing? It's God. Anybody confused here? Who's going to finish the work? No. There's no confusion. Since no one's answering me, I'm going to take that as a no. I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised you. So is it possible that the journey, <laughs> come on, wow, Lord, God's good, isn't he? Is it possible that the journey that Jacob's about to go on and the mistakes that he thinks he's about to make was God-ordained so he could get him to a place where Jacob would realize it's not me, it's God? So many times we're, we're, we're looking at our life, we're looking for a yellow brick road, or a bed of roses. And you need to realize that God knows exactly what he's doing and that out of your worst mistakes came many times your greatest blessings, your greatest revelation. It's at the moment actually where you you faced your greatest trial that you realized God the most. We shouldn't be confused that there's a walking out but God's going to do it. So we say, well, how are you going to do it, God? God says, well, I got to take you on a journey. And you could go through the entire Bible. We just don't have time today. But you could go through every single patriarch and every single one of them went on a journey just like this. And you can say, well, 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 wait a second. Well, no, that was because they did this, and he made a mistake here, and they made a mistake there, and then there was a famine. You can't help the famine, and there's this, and there's that. But every single one of them, God allowed them all. He allowed every single patriarch, including Jesus, had to walk it out as well. Jesus even had to walk it out. Jesus, listen, he's God, but in order for his blood to be equal to ours, he was also a man. I know this is not normal math, but I love this math because I don't like regular math. It's 100% God and 100% man. I know that doesn't add up in this world. But he had to be man so that his blood was equal. So that means that when they put him on the cross, he wanted to say, oh, you're going to get it. Oh, man, wait till my father gets to you. You won't be laughing. You won't be gambling then. it Won't be my garment that's torn. But he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Even Jesus had to go through it. And really so that his blood, his proof, see his blood, in order for his blood to equal your blood, he had to face it and conquer it. He faced it and didn't get to him. He could not be touched. Finally, when they touch him, he says, it's only because I'm letting you. God said, I'm going to finish what I started. I'm going to finish giving you everything I promised. And then he tells us in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 gives us a New Testament promise to refresh our memory on an Old Testament promise. It says in the book of Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, it says, and I am certain, I'm certain that God who began a good work within you will continue. God began a work in you, and He's going to continue it. Everybody say, God God began began a good work work within us, us. and He he will continue continue His work work until it is is finally finished on on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Isn't that incredible? I also love the fact that he doesn't say until it's finished in your lifetime. Takes all the condemnation off. Romans 8, one. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And what's it tell us? The very next verse is who don't live by the flesh. So there's no condemnation as long as you don't live by the flesh. You live by the Spirit, there's no condemnation. If you live by the flesh, the Bible says by the flesh you will die. But Jesus is finishing something, and it may take your entire life. Don't get condemned. Just stay in it. Everybody say, just stay in it. In fact, it goes on in Romans 8 that he is aware of your weaknesses, so the Spirit helps us. He's aware of our weaknesses, so he helps us. Jesus began a work. Come on, he didn't just write this in Philippians 1 to us as believers. Where was Jesus, the Bible tells us in John 1.1, when creation was happening. It says, everything was made through him. Everything that was made was made through him. Through the word that word became flesh. That's Jesus through him. So there was a creation. And then the devil goes, I'll get him. God us in the garden. And then he's like, well, I'll just corrupt all humanity. God says, well, I'll just, I'll have to, I'm going to send a flood. Humanity, our minds don't get that. But this is God. God is God. But, but I'm not going to take away my promise. I'm going to finish this thing. And then they come back out of the ark, and we have Canaan. Everybody remember Canaan? God is giving us time and time and time and time again to return, to come back to him, to repent, and to make things right. God is God. God is going to finish it. And whoever wants to be with him can be with him. Whoever doesn't want to be with him, it's a sad day, but that's why he tells us to be ready. If it's automatic, if you're with him, you're with him, and if you're not, you're not, why would he tell us over and over again to watch and be ready? Why would Jesus tell the believers it was the mature that he was talking to at those moments when he would say, watch and be ready? Because it's a constant, relationship with him now the devil's been constantly coming and jesus constantly gives more grace and then he throws this issue in your life and you have a chance then to turn to jesus and in fact in that moment is actually where jesus really becomes real in your life because it's no longer you it's not your strength it's not even you anymore in fact The finishing work of Jesus is that by the end isn't this incredible the picture that it says that he's going to give you a new body. You won't even have the same appearance. When Jesus, come on let's look at this picture, this is incredible. When Jesus finishes this work, he gives you a part of this end promise is what? A new body. Why is that significant? Because you are gone (laughs) all that's left is jesus all that's left is that heart that just more and more of you just gone 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 until there's nothing i mean even just look at look at our bodies look what they do they naturally break down that's what's supposed to happen that's what happens in the spiritual realm walking with him the flesh is just breaking down. But, you know, my grandfather, who died last year, said, he would say it many times, actually. It was a very common thing for him to say, that I feel the same. I'm in a 90-year-old man body, but in my mind, I'm exactly the same. I'm the same guy, and I'm trapped in an old man's body, in fact. I'm trapped. I want to do what I want to do, and I can't because my body doesn't let me. But in here, I'm, ex- I'm the same guy. We don't get old in here. But the body see that's what happens christ's in you, that's the real you, and the body, the flesh, is dying that's the way, that's the kingdom and in the finishing work of Jesus Christ, when he returns, we come with we get new bodies, come on, there's a new come on the lord has been he's been speaking this for for some weeks now, but he wants to make you new in order to make you new, he says. The Nicodemus, he says to Jesus, How do I how do I go back into my mother's womb to be born again? How is that possible? And what he's pointing out is that the, the you that you are just needs to die. The you that everybody sees, that needs to die. Right? The you that everybody knows, that just starts dying. And I and I've said this, there's a, a well known preacher who people would come up to him and they would see him and say, hey, I remember you from your past. I remember you. And he'd say, I don't know who you're talking to. That man is dead. That was his line. He said, that man is dead. Because we become more and more like Christ. That's that finishing work of Christ. But this is interesting. Everybody okay for a few more minutes. This is interesting what happened the devil thinks he's putting an end to it, so he corrupts humanity. and says, every man did what was right in his own heart. So God says, I'm going to kill everyone. The devil thinks he's winning, but doesn't realize that this crazy guy out there building wood in a desert, you think the devil knew what was happening? I don't think so, because he hadn't seen rain either. He has no idea what Noah's doing, a picture of Christ, a picture of the cross, picture of the wood. right? A picture of the cross doesn't know. He doesn't know what that is. If he knew, he wouldn't have put him on there. Remember, God didn't put him on there. God had a plan. The devil put him on there. Just like God doesn't put you in a trial. The devil does, but God's got a plan through it. Amen? So the devil doesn't realize. So there's this guy, Noah, who's going to make things new again, right? A new earth. Could we come through it? And right after that, who loves the word of God? Who thinks the word of God's a little repetitive? It's okay to admit it. God's not offended. It's very repetitive. It's the same story over and over again. This guy grows up, loves God, then this guy doesn't. Then this woman rises up, she loves God, and this woman doesn't. And the whole time the Lord's like, just come back to me, return to me. I love you so much. Gives them grace. They return. Then they run from him again come back to me again, I love you so much. And they come back. That's the Bible, all the way through. And it says it will continue all the way through Revelation until this day. Just keep coming back to him. Just keep coming back, and coming back, and coming back. Let him keep dealing with you, because they come out of the ark, the Bible tells us in Genesis. It says, they come out of the ark... In Genesis chapter 9, verse 25. And Ham uncovers his father's nakedness. And he says in Genesis chapter 9, verse 25. Then he cursed Canaan, the son of Ham. May Canaan be cursed. Everybody say Canaan be cursed. And then he said, may he be the lowest of all servants of his relatives, then Noah said, may the Lord God of Shem, everybody say Shem, and Shem is the great, great, great grandfather and whatever of Abraham, all the way down to you being here, being the seed of Jesus. May Shem be blessed, and that is you, you're blessed. There was the curse, and there was the blessings, and may Canaan be his servant, and may God expand the territory of Japheth, May Japheth share the prosperity of Shem and may Canaan be his servant. Do you know that Genesis 9 here, that God is finishing what he said to Canaan and to Shem and Japheth when he's talking to Jacob? That that's exactly where he took him? Do you know that's where he brought him to was the exact land? It was to Canaan where he said, Canaan's going to be cursed and, and Shem is going to be blessed. And that's what he was doing. That God all those years later was still finishing what he said. And do you know that today he is still finishing what he said? In fact, 500 years after he tells that promise to Jacob somewhere within 500 years. It's not exactly. Somewhere around that time, he tells the same exact thing to Joshua. Come on, guys, are we getting this? That God never gives up on us? That God never gives up on us? That when he makes a promise, he keeps it? Even generations, if it takes generations, if it takes, you know, your whole life, sometimes we live our lives saying, Lord, I don't feel like I've done what I thought I should have done in this life. And your life could literally just be to prep the next generation or generations ahead of you. We don't know. God is fulfilling such a grander, bigger plan than we realize. And I don't have the time to get into what's happening here with Shem and Canaan. I'm just making the reference. You can go and do some studying. But the fact that God made a promise and he tells Jacob You're going to come in this land. Now, Jacob, if in our humanity, we would think, okay, a couple more years, I'll do some things. You know, you take me on a little bit of journey. We'll be back here. We'll rest. Before the end of Jacob's life, where is he? He's down in Egypt before he dies. And then we have 400 years of captivity. And then 80 more years or so. Of coming out of life there, somewhere around that range, I don't know, 40 years, 440 years, whatever, depending on how you break it down, somewhere over 400 years, but close to 500, they're finally here, fulfilling what God had said a long, long, long time ago, that Jesus is still finishing. He never, ever gives up on us. He never, ever gets up on you. He makes a promise. He keeps it. And your life... It is so important that we do what we've been called to do. And if you take out just one person, you take out Jacob, you lose the whole tribes of Israel, including Jesus came from those, that line. You take out Joseph, who then does his work in Egypt, and, and it's gone. You take out Moses, who frees them from captivity, and we're not back in Canaan. You take out Joshua, who's not willing to lead them across and listen to God, and, and they're not in Canaan. And it's so important. Meanwhile, God is on a a bigger, grander plan. He will keep his promise, but also that you are that important, that these are one person, one person, one person, one person. and, and And the Bible actually tells us they never actually fully inherited an earthly promise. It tells us in Hebrews that they never really fully inherited an earthly promise because it wasn't even, it was the fulfillment is in Jesus. The fulfillment was through Christ. But he tells him 500-ish years later, tells Joshua the same exact thing. He says to Joshua in Joshua 1, he says, Moses, verse 2, my servant is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across across the Jordan River into the land, the same exact land that I promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I promised them, and now it's literally since Abraham, I mean, I don't know the math, but we're talking generations upon generations upon generations ago, but God keeps his promise. I'm giving you the land, and I promise you what I promised Moses, wherever you set your foot, you will be on land I have given you. The exact same thing he said to Jacob, this land is yours Sometimes we don't feel like we're possessing the place or possessing, and this is that's that walking out. Don't worry about what you feel, what you think, what your perception is. We have no idea what God's doing through us. We just need to be willing to let him use us, let him do a work in us, and just be every single one of these characters went through life. Every single one of them went through stuff And every single one of them overcame it, standing in the gap, and God was able to do something through them. Tells them the same thing. Verse 5, no one will be able to stand against you. He says, for I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. And then here we go again. Joshua 6, they go into Jericho. Joshua 7, but Israel violated the instructions about the things set apart for the Lord. And that's that cycle. And then you go to the end of seven, but it says, once they dealt with Achan, it says, and then that place of trouble, ever since this, the Lord was no longer angry. That is God. That's God's kingdom. God is constantly giving more grace. Deal with it, and I'll give you grace again. And then they had victory again. And then when they would fail him, they came back to him and he'd give him victory again. It's the grace of Jesus Christ that until the last day is standing in between us, but that does not replace the fact that we must do what he's asked us to do. Because if we don't, I hope that this is making sense. It was like five things at once. If we don't do what he's asked us to do, just because his grace is there, Jesus' grace in between us, it makes it look like we don't have to do anything. But his grace got, the grace was there over and over and over again, except in the Old Testament, it was death. The difference is, I'm not going to kill you. But I want you to deal with that internally. And if you can deal with it, I'm going to give you another chance again. But one day, if you don't deal with it, I'm coming back again. And when I come back again, then I have to deal with it. Makes sense today? Amen. We just thank you, Lord Jesus. I thank you, Lord God, for your word. I thank you, Lord, for truth. I thank you, Lord, for life. I thank you, Lord, that your grace is so big. It is so powerful, Lord, that you love us unconditionally. You love us, Lord, so much. Your love, Lord, is without our love back to you. But if we will yield to it, I thank you, Lord, and let you do the work internally. I thank you, Jesus that we have the chance to grow. We have a chance to become like you and to let you out of us. And Lord, to be, Lord, someone that will be written about again, Lord. We can be just like this, Lord. We can be names in the kingdom, Lord, names in the Lamb's book of life that you remember, that they stood in the gap, that they stayed, that they didn't let their flesh get the best of them, but they stayed with it. They trusted me to the end. And I was able to build another generation upon them and upon them and upon them, Lord. Let that be us, let that be this church in the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you, Lord God.